welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Every week, we bring you dads that are having different experiences, different fathering journeys to be able to talk with them, sometimes talking with their children as well, to be able to help you to be active participants in your child's life. Now, this is the Dads with Daughters podcast, but that that is just the name. It doesn't mean that we don't talk to dads with other kids with that have other that have other genders, you know. And we're going to be talking a little bit about some journeys today that um, are different than everybody else. And we're going to be chatting about what that journey is like. Today, we've got Joel Gearing and Richie Gearing joining us today. We're going to be talking about the journey that they've been on and talking about some of the things that Joel's had to learn along the way that Richie has probably tried to help Joel learn along the way. And we're going to try to help all of you get a better understanding of how you can best advocate for your kids too. And I'm really excited to have this conversation. Joel, Richie, so great to have you both here today. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure. So I always love to start this. I always love to start these interviews with an opportunity to turn the clock back in time. And Joel, we're going to turn it back quite a ways because I want to go way back. I want to go back to that first moment, that first moment when you found out that you were going to be a father. What was going through your head? It wasn't a planned situation for us, although it wasn't necessarily unexpected either. I remember being probably experiencing all of the same emotions that anyone would in those moments when you find out that you're expecting excitement, trepidation, I guess is probably a good word. But, you know, overall, as the feeling starts to sink in and you start telling your your family, particularly your parents, that they're going to be grandparents for the first time and you see the emotion overcome them and how happy they are it, it quickly the, the fear sort of goes away it dissipates and the the excitement sort of starts to take over and then it kind of flips back a little bit too you're excited but then all of the implications start to settle in and you, you can go back in to fear i mean you've experienced it twice just like i have and we've got children that are practically exactly the same age so you went through it in exactly the same way probably just that seesaw between excitement and then foreboding as you realize you've got to raise two people in this world and and get them through college and and beyond. So it goes back and forth. But I remember at first, it just sort of shock turning into excitement. So you talk about fear and I definitely understand that because there is some fear there. I mean, I, I was an only child myself, so I had no clue what to expect except for the fact that we were both and were excited as well. But as you think about raising your children, and you think back to the years that you've had with them and the years to come, what would you say was your biggest fear in raising your children in today's society? You know, I think you're always trying to make sure that you don't repeat the perceived mistakes of your own parents. I came from a, I have one younger sister, but I came from a divorced family. Both parents, they divorced in about 1980, 1981, and then remarried in the mid to late 80s. So we had two separate families separated by great distance. My father had moved to Texas. And I wanted to make sure that the environment that we set for our children was as calm as it could possibly be. I think it's in my DNA to not be calm, (laughs) to be emotional. And so that's how I grew up in sort of a, I'm not going to say volatile home, but certainly a a home that seemed to be running hot 
a lot with the relationships with my, obviously my parents before they divorced, and then even with their new spouses, things could get difficult emotionally sometimes. And I think that had a, I recognized that that it had a lifelong effect on me. And so by the time it was my turn to be the parent, and even as I'm selecting a person to spend the rest of my life with, I have that in the back of my mind that I want to make sure that I'm with someone and I'm creating an environment that's a little more emotionally stable than what I think I had growing up, a little a little more, if not predictable, at least productive conversations are happening about situations, and it's not a lot of read and react. So that was something that I kind of had in my head from the moment I learned that, you know, we were expecting that first child. So we talk about fears, and, you know, raising children is not always easy. There's ups, there's downs, and, you know, there's challenges along the way whether that's in the early years to the teenage years and beyond. What would you say has been the hardest part in raising your children? It's funny, with the two that are home now, and we did have an older as well, when I met my wife, there was already a nine-year-old in the picture. So I had some prepping of raising a kid, but I came into her life, the older one's life, at nine. So I didn't know much about you know, newborn up to that age. And of course, all kids are different. And certainly these two have been different than that first one was. The difficulties, honestly, they've been few and far between. I'm I'm blessed with two children that are just amazing. Uh, no trouble. I mean, I, I like to say this to people all the time. I can count on one hand the number of times I've had to raise my voice to either of my children. They're cooperative, they're helpful, and they're not helpful because that's the expectation. I think they're helpful because it's in their nature. They contribute to the home. The younger one, Bug, who we like to call Bug, is always cooking and helping out. And Richie, we've always said, has been eight years old, going on 35 forever. So there have not been very many difficulties. Now, that older one, I can't say the same. Uh, That was a more difficult teenage years. But these two at 14 and 17 have just been wonderful. In terms of those typical things that we worry about, they don't listen, they they, they go out, they're sneaking out, they're hanging with the wrong crowd, all those stereotypical stuff, those sitcom type problems that that we might sometimes worry about. It's been nothing like that. The, The most difficult situations have been probably with respect to making sure that they feeling like you've allowed them to be secure. And both of them have dealt with gender identity issues. And so that's probably been the toughest thing, quite frankly, from a parent standpoint, is that feeling that they're at greater risk emotionally and even physically. And having to come to terms with that's just the situation. And all you can do is help them with that and help them through that and hope you've equipped them to deal with those things. But that's really been the toughest part for me. There's been no other difficult adjustments or anything like that. Now, Richie, I guess your dad just talked about the fact that both you and your sibling have gone through gender issues in trying to figure out your identity and, and going through a process by which you went from identifying as a she, her to they, them for yourself and for your sibling from she, her to a he, him. And I guess for me, I get, talk to me about that. Talk to me about for yourself, that journey that you had to go through and what steps you had to do to be able to start that journey and what you had to do to be able to connect with your parents to help them along that journey. Well, my brother from very early stages of his life, we'd always sort of known, not known, but he'd always presented himself in a way that was very masculine. He'd always wanted to dress more 
in boyish clothes, wanted to shop in the boy sections of like Target or malls in the, or stores in the mall. And he wasn't, he was a very confident kid. So he'd wear somewhat ridiculous clothes and go out and just be so happy that other people viewed him as a boy and not a girl. So definitely for my parents, they had an understanding that one day he might come to them and say that he wants to do this and he wants to be this person. And for me, I was an older sibling to him, so it did take a bit of an understanding that that wasn't my sister, that was my brother, that sort of difference. But it really wasn't as difficult, I think, as it is for some of my friends or some of my friends' older siblings, because I'd grown up kind of just knowing. It wasn't a situation that was particularly confusing to me or strange for me to hear about. It was something that just was how it was. It was like normal. So talking to your friends about that sort of thing, when I would bring it up to them, when we would talk about like, oh, yeah, my little sibling is very masculine presenting. Like, you know, as a kid, when you talk about your little siblings, um, my friends would be like, yeah, same with mine. But when we'd talk about it, it was different. It was just different. Like, oh, they still have an understanding that that's their sister, whereas I don't really have an understanding of that at all and it didn't matter to me either like it really did not affect any way that I loved him or that I appreciated him as my little brother but around seventh and eighth grade I had started watching a lot more like YouTube and specifically I made friends with some of the girls that were in the grade above me and a lot of those girls were either bisexual or lesbian or something along those lines. So when I spoke to them, I was like, these are the cool people. These are the fun people that I can hang out with. And they're like in the grade above me and they're so fancy. And I would listen to them talk about like actual serious issues in middle school in like the lunchroom and they'd just be talking about serious political issues. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. And one of them was a friend of mine who I'd been friends with for quite a few years. And she explained to me what bisexual was. And I knew what like lesbian and gay was. I didn't know that you could like both genders. So when she explained that to me, it was very interesting. It was a little mind blowing. And she gave me like YouTubers to watch. She gave me TV shows to watch. She showed me, oh, this is a cool book you can read. This is a cool TV show you can watch on Netflix, that sort of stuff. And I had for a very long time in my life, as far as I can remember, never quite understood that little bit of jealousy that I felt whenever my brother got perceived as a boy and not a girl. It wasn't always like an outward jealousy where I wanted to be the center of that attention, but it was a sort of jealousy that I just simply didn't understand. And it wasn't until I started watching a YouTuber who had his friend on, and his friend was non-binary, used they-them pronouns, very androgynous, very, like, just a very cool person. And I listened to the vocabulary that was used around them of just constantly referring to them with they-them pronouns, and the way that they then, on their own YouTube channel, talked about their gender, that sort of set something for me in my mind of this is something that's possible. And once you learn that something's possible, I feel like as a kid, you're like, oh my goodness, I need to know everything about this right now. And that became me learning about gender expression, that became me learning about the difference between gender and sex, that became me 
doing a ton of research just into the LGBTQ in general, learning all different kinds of sexualities, the difference between sexual and romantic attraction. Like it was just a whole big explosion of learning new things. And eventually one of my favorite authors in the world, Rick Riordan, the author of the Percy Jackson series, came out with a new series called the Magnus Chase books. And one of the characters in these books, Alex Fierro, was gender fluid, used he, him, and she, her pronouns interchangeably, and never quite expressed her gender in a way that was the same each time you read. And it was very interesting. And I'd sort of begun to idolize her a little bit and seen her as something that was just so cool and fun. And from there, it just started to click with me, like, why do I have this fascination as much? Why do I like this a lot more than my friends do? Like my friends, they read the books, but they didn't have that sort of connection. And when I explained my connection to Alex Fierro or to the YouTubers that I saw, my friends would say, yeah, I understand that, but I have that connection with a different person. So then it became me in eighth grade wondering, why do I have that connection to this character? Why do I feel that way? Until eventually I just started to consider maybe I'm not cisgendered. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I don't want to go by she, her pronouns. Maybe I don't want to express myself in a purely feminine way. And it just sort of snowballed from there into finding ways to express who I am. And then came time to pronouns and name and all that sort of stuff. So Joel, as Richie said, you have a son that for many years, I know that we've had conversations in the past uh, and the fact that Bug was always Bug and you kind of had the feeling that that Bug did identify as a male, even from very young. And then Richie went through this process to figure out who they are, to be able to find out the path that they were on. Talk to me about what journey that you and your partner had to go through to be able to support not only Bug, who's not here today, but but really Richie in this journey that they've been on? You know, it, it's always a learning process. You have a lot to to absorb and sort through. We had an understanding from a pretty early age, again, like we've mentioned that Bug, who was born Lily, was identifying more male. It was evident as early as kindergarten. You can go back and look at Bug's kindergarten picture, and it's a sweater vest and a bow tie, and loved to wear plaid and bow ties and fedoras, and just didn't rail against dresses, but if you let Bug pick out clothes, it was never going to be a dress or a jumper or anything like that. If you remember those first daddy-daughter dances, it was tuxedos. And so we had been prepared. I'd even taken a sort of a, a preemptive move when Bug was, gosh, kindergarten, first grade, to go to a child psychologist just to make sure that, you know, how they were identifying, I knew how to support them. I knew really early on, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, I think, you know, anybody who was a, a Gen Xer of our generation, Chris, we saw the harmful effects of denying children who they were. I had that with friends. Now, usually they were just simply identifying as, as gay, but that was a difficult thing for us to see growing up when we saw friends who were like that and did not have support and how it affected them every day of their lives. So I was bound to determine that that wasn't going to be me. So we had Richie, who was this kid that was always stable and dependable and always just there, almost as a rock of a child. Then there was Bug, who, you know, there was always concerns and wonders with in terms of how this was going to work out. And then, lo and behold, the 
the day came before Bug had even said anything. Bug was still quite young when, when Richie is the one who stepped forward and said, you know what, I've got something I need to tell you. At first it was as I'm gay. That was Richie's first. But of course, here it was. This is probably what, 2016, 2017, something like that, 2018. And Richie's mom and I are like, that's that's not a big deal. You That is fine. You you be who you are. You know you have our support. That's, a, that's barely a blip on the radar. You know, you're prepared for something like that. And we'd been preparing for Bug to eventually one day say, hey, I don't identify as a girl. So we were prepared. We were not really very prepared for Richie to maybe a year, year and a half after that to say, you know what, it's more than just me being gay. I identify as non-binary. I'm not female. I'm not male. And I don't want to take this name anymore that was given to me. I don't identify with this name anymore. That was a much bigger adjustment. That's much more difficult. We'd been preparing for that with Lily, with Bug, but we were not preparing for that with Richie, who was Maddie when, when, when they were born. So that was a much more difficult transition, and that's not one that we were prepared for. But in a way, I guess I guess we were as well. <laughs> because we were preparing for bugs, so it wasn't that much of a transition to say, okay, well, the older one also isn't what you're expecting when they're born. I think in our society, in most societies probably, you have it. When a child comes out and, and they're a certain gender, biologically, you have a certain path that you have envisioned for them. And it became clear early that Bug was not going to walk down that path. So it wasn't a huge transition to figure that Richie wasn't going to walk down that path either. Um, but it, it was a shock. At first, it took some getting used to, you know, you got to wrap your head around it, but we were already there in in some respects. So we had to transition towards, okay, both children need our support in a lot of the same ways and a lot of different ways. So there's something to process, but you eventually you have to process it and move forward. So Richie, as your dad is talking about that, what goes through your head in regards to, he's talking, he talked about support and the support that he and your mom were trying to give you. But I guess as a teenager now, as someone that for the last few years you've gone, you've continued to develop in your own identity journey, but what support did you need at the beginning and what support do you continue to need from your parents to be able to help you to be who you are? Definitely in the beginning, once I had sort of settled on an idea of who I felt I was and I still hadn't figured out a name or anything along those lines, The first people I told were friends and friends that I knew either also knew people who were trans or who would just be accepting. And those friends obviously helped me for the first few months, first year even, before I told my parents. And that sort of support is almost unparalleled other than, of course, parents. So when I did tell my parents, I told them separately. I hadn't planned on telling my mom when I did tell her. I was mostly trying to convey something else, but in that conversation, I'd let slip what I wanted to see myself as in the future, and it didn't go over super well with her at first. She wasn't not accepting, but she was overwhelmed because I'd given her a lot of information, and it wasn't the right time, but it had happened, and there wasn't exactly a lot of going back on that. And then a week, maybe a week and a half after I told my mom, I told my dad, and that conversation went over a lot smoother. But it was a challenge at first because my parents also were not used to gender non-conforming being outside of the gender binary of male and female. So I didn't have to explain that exactly, but having to understand that they need to get used to that sort of situation and that sort of idea is 
definitely something that I dealt with in the beginning, this sort of coming out that happened with my parents and with my family. I think as you go on, though, as a trans person, what you're looking for from parents is less of a, like, oh, they need to understand, like, what's going on in my head, and that is really important. I think the most important thing that parents can do during any stage of their child's life and when their child is transitioning or attempting to transition is just communication, just asking your children how they feel about one thing or another, asking your children how they feel about talking to other people about them. Like, do your kids prefer daughter or son? Do they prefer child? That sort of thing. So it was at first sort of a situation because when I had come out to my parents, it was like not long after that that we went into lockdown thanks to COVID. So there wasn't there wasn't exactly a ton of like room for them to outwardly express their support for me but it was over a series of months and into a year just a subtle recognition of who I am through the way that they talked about me to other people by calling me their child and not their daughter that sort of situation that sort of thing and now as i go forward all that i can really hope for from support is just an open line of communication. And it is exhausting as a kid and as a trans person to constantly have to explain to people, and not the same people either, just everyone in the world who you're ever going to meet, having to explain to them, this is the situation, these are the pronouns, this is why I do this, this is why I dress like this, like that sort of thing. Having to explain that to almost every person you meet or having to explain it over again to people is exhausting to say the least. It's a lot of brain power. It's a lot of memorizing a speech that you don't want to give in the first place. So by having parents that are very communicative and do their best to be that way, it is really helpful. It is really nice. But also having parents that aren't afraid to just do some research on their own, like talking to your children is always going to be the best way that you can understand them. But if your kid is going through something like looking it up online, just going to Google, going to the Trevor Project, that sort of stuff. When it involves LGBTQ kids, the Trevor Project is like a great resource and stuff. But having sort of just a baseline idea of what your kid is going through, because that's like been documented before. I don't think there's, I don't think kids can really do anything new at this point where it's like, this has never been done before by anyone because it's just everyone's done something. So having sort of a baseline idea of what your kid is going through and not having to ask them about that, but then asking the more serious, the more in-depth questions is what's most important. So definitely for the first year, It's getting used to the idea that your kid is one way. That's just all the support that you can give. And that's all the support that I received. And then from that moment, from then on, moving forward, it's just keeping that line open, being able to talk to your kid and having my parents be able to talk to me about why, like questions they have for me or even problems that I'm having that I can then go to them for help with. I appreciate you sharing that. And I can just imagine how exhausting it can be because of going through life, walking through life, going into different situations, even even situations or places that you've known for years and people that you've known for years that have seen you in one way. 
And then now you're trying to help them to understand who you are. I guess for any father that's out there or anyone that's listening, what would you say to them, you or others that are going through this journey, so that it's not as exhausting? And I don't know if you have the answer to that, but it may, and maybe, Joel, you have some thoughts too. But it would seem like there has to be something that society in general could do to be able to be supportive of everyone, no matter who they are and what path they're on. Definitely, like I said before, the first thing that you can do to help support your kids or your friends or your friends' kids or something along those lines is is just research. It's not, I mean, Google is free. You can get on your phone, get on your laptop, uh, look up what they're going through. If your kid is transgender, female to male, male to female, or uh, gender nonconforming in some way, going and researching what that is, or looking up just simple things that you can learn just from a basic Google search, and sort of applying that to what you know about them. Like, we're learning right now in my psychology class about schemas, and it's this idea of um, sort of an organization that your brain does automatically, where you have an idea of what something is, you have a concept of what something is, and your brain has created everything and your brain has organized it helpfully into a little section that you can go to and remember. And something that you do, accommodation, is add to your schema or expand your schema in order to include new information that you've just received. So you have a schema, you have a concept of what that person is, and then going and researching things about transgender people, gay people, that sort of stuff. And applying that to how you conceptualize them is the first thing you can do. And then after that, everything else can follow. The, the communication, the helping them just shop, helping them learn how to express themselves, if that's your role in their life, that sort of stuff. Joel, any thoughts from your side of what other people can do to kind of pave the way for broader communication or to support kids that are going through uh, these transitions themselves? Well, I think Richie kind of hit it right on the head. If you haven't taken the time to learn what that is and what it's about, particularly with gender nonconforming, that's the one that folks don't have an understanding with. Even transgender folks will say, I don't understand that. How can you be born a girl but want to be a boy or vice versa? But they can conceptualize that. They might not understand it, but they understand you've gone from a gender to another gender. You're identifying one way or the other, and we're evolutionarily designed to have an understanding of boys and girls, and I guess we can understand, perhaps even wrap our heads around the idea that you may not identify as the gender you were born with, but this idea of gender nonconforming, of gender fluidity, that baffles a lot of folks, and the exhausting part, I think, comes in trying to explain that because you go from, I think Richie has, and I, I've even done it, you go from explaining it to justifying it. And that becomes exhausting because you end up feeling like you're in a conversation with an individual who they're coming from a place of, I'm trying to understand it, to a place of now I want you to justify it, to a place of now I'd like to debate whether or not this is a legitimate state of being. <laughs> and that is exhausting, particularly when you're doing that with loved ones, particularly when you're doing that with individuals who, and in my situation, I don't want to fight with certain people. And having that debate that always feels like it's on the cusp of an argument, that's difficult. So if, if folks are out there 
and they would just like Rick Ritchie said, Google is free. You, you, a lot of those questions about how these individuals identify and the state of being of, of particularly gender nonconforming, gender fluid, non-binary, the information's out there. You can look it up. You can get those questions answered. And then you can move on to, okay, I accept that, I understand it, and how can I support you? The hardest part of all of this from a parent's perspective, quite frankly, is probably figuring, it's this transitional moment that I'm still even in where some know and some don't. My wife comes from divorced parents as well, so we've got four sets of grandparents out there that need to wrap their heads around this. You know, these are baby boomers, and three sets at this point. Uh, know and have expressed their support and have shown in various ways that they are supportive. There's various comfort levels with them as well. And then there's a fourth set that um, I don't think does know yet. It clearly doesn't know because of, of the way they refer to my children still. And, you know, they ask how the girls are doing and they, they continue to use their prior names, which obviously we know we haven't told them. They don't know. And that's difficult navigating that, trying to make sure that they're not going to want to know that they're the last to know. But at the same time, there's a reason they're the last to know. I think we do this in life in all paths. We gauge how open-minded certain folks are, and we're going to hesitate with those who we're going to feel are less open-minded. So far, everyone's kind of shocked us. Those that we thought would have a real difficulty with it haven't. We build that up in our minds as human beings a little bit to come to a belief about how certain people are going to react based upon your past interactions with them. And sometimes they surprise you, and so far... They've surprised us every time, but you're still worried about that next conversation. And so that's the difficult part for me is this transition situation that you find yourself in where some know, some don't, the tiptoeing around a little bit, the wanting to come out. But it's also, it's not, as a parent, it's not your story to tell sometimes. And so there are boundaries. You want to help your children and and make it easier for them by telling certain people so they don't have to go through that. But you need to make sure you're communicating with your children and letting them know it's it's really ultimately their choice. If they want some people to know and some not to know, you need to respect that. If they want to be the ones who have the conversation with certain folks in your family, you need to respect that. If they don't want you there, fine. If they do want you there, be there for them. But let that sort of drive the conversation. What do you want with this particular individual? And that's what we've done. We've gone person by person. How do we want to handle it with this individual? You know, these folks don't know yet, and they really need to know. How would you like to handle that? Is it time to tell them? That was the big part of the communication. That's the part that we're still navigating. Well, I truly appreciate both of you sharing this journey, and I'm sure it's ongoing because it's there's not it's not going to be perfect, you know, from the first step to the last step, and it's probably going to be evolving as time goes on. But it's important for others to hear the story to be able to understand because not only is it happening within their own home, but it could be happening in their friend's home there and, and beyond. And we need to be able to support every child that's out there as they go through life. Now, we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where I ask you five more questions to delve a little bit deeper, typically just into the dad, but that's not going to be the case this time. We're going to be asking both Joel and Richie a couple more questions to delve a little bit deeper into their relationship, but also uh, into parenting and fatherhood and a little bit more. So you both ready? Ready. Ready. So Richie, in one word, what is fatherhood? Can I cheat and use two, but one is one letter long? That's wonderful. (laughs) A privilege. And Joel? Support. Now, Richie, when was a time that you finally felt like your dad succeeded 
at being a father. I can use an example from like just recently. My dad and I were both home and I just finished with school and stuff. And he just asked me how I was doing. And I was able to explain to him very easily that I hadn't been doing so great recently. Like I was just able to talk to him about how I was worried about how other people perceived me and that sort of thing. But I didn't hesitate to tell him that that's how I was feeling. I didn't feel like if I said that, that I would hear something that I'd heard a million times before. Like it was an easy gateway to a conversation that I felt like that day I'd really needed to have so I could get a couple things off my chest. And Joel? <laughs> it's funny. With Richie, it was right from the get-go. I mean, gosh, four, five, six years old, and you, you had a child who just right from the start was mature and self-motivated and just understood their place in the world was what I mean there, then understood how they fit into the scheme of the family. And it's kind of bogus too at the same time, because I, I felt like, wow, we've done a good job here, you know, but then you sort of realize later, yeah, that's probably as much DNA is and, and just innate personality as it did in the upbringing. Folks meet you and they say, well, you must be doing something right. You've got two such great kids. That's when you feel like you're, you're doing right. But sometimes you delve a little deeper and go, well, some of that's just personality too, but I'll take it. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll take it. Anytime someone comes up and says, you know, I'm just blown away by the maturity uh, of your children and, and the, the way that they perceive the world and the way that they tackle the obstacles in front of them. That's when you feel like, okay, well, I have something to do with that. Now, Richie, if you and Bug were both here, how would you both describe your dad? Probably as a bit nerdy, <laughs> but a wonderful motivator. It's it's interesting as kids growing up with um, the mom and dad that we do have because both of our parents are very different people, but they're also the same. They both, my dad is a lot more into like sci-fi and fantasy and that sort of stuff whereas my mom is she likes watching like jeopardy and doing puzzles so they both have their uh little things that are fun for them and good for them and bug and i have both sort of either been interested in those things as well thanks to our parents or have completely rejected the idea of doing them because it's just no <laughs> But definitely growing up with those parents, you want to make them happy because you see how either happy they are because you see how happy they are with who you are as a person, what you're able to do at school, what friends you have, that sort of thing. And you want to keep them happy in that sense. You want to do things that will make them proud of you because and not just because they have an expectation and if you don't meet it, they won't be proud of you. But because you know that if you're happy, they are going to be proud. And that's all you can do. So you reach and do things that are going to make you happy that then in turn make them proud. So having parents like that, it's just, it's good motivation to do something that'll make you happy. Now, Joel, who inspires you to be a better dad? My children, honestly. I mean... That seems like the easy answer, too, but that's really the, the honest answer. They've been easy to parent, having had that experience of having a more difficult 
child to parent, a more difficult relationship, a more complex relationship with uh, another child. These two are the inspiration to try to do the best you can. They just they just flat out deserve it. It's one of the conversations I have with other folks who ask how I'm dealing with this situation, uh, with their, their gender identities, and, you know, with those who are a little bit more questioning of it or skeptical of that type of situation of, of, of being either transgender or gender nonconforming, of, of non-binary. They both, what I say to folks when they're, when they're skeptical of that is, I've got two kids that have earned the benefit of the doubt here. I've got two kids that have, from the very beginning, made good decisions and have exhibited nothing but good judgment. So when it comes time for something like this, you're dealing with a situation and it's time to support them, you're going to be all in as a parent because they've demonstrated that they've earned that right to be trusted and and to be given the room to be who they are and uh, not be scrutinized for it and, and not be questioned so much about it. We've had our deep conversations, but I try not to be questioning about it. I try not to be someone who, you know, where you're, you're looking at them almost skeptically. They don't deserve that. It's not productive to be that way. And quite frankly, they've earned the right to not be presented that way, certainly not from their parents. And so that's what my wife and I try to, to do is make sure we're not coming at them like that. So they've earned that right. So it's the, the two of them that makes me want to do as good a job as I can do for them. Now, this quite last question is for both of you. But Richie, you've given a lot of pieces of advice, I think, that any father can listen to and think about and right, think about for themselves of how that would impact themselves. But as we finish up today, what's one piece of advice that you would give to all dads? I would say trust your kids. Because genuinely, we are some of the stupidest people on the planet, but not about the wrong things. We will be dumb when making decisions about like whether or not you should study or if you should go or if you should do something that you shouldn't. But in general, my generation, so if you're a dad right now and your kids are Gen Z or younger, we've grown up with YouTube, with uh, Twitter, Snapchat, all sorts of social media and TV. And we are constantly shown and exposed to different people, different ways of living and different viewpoints. So when we go into a situation, when we need to make a tough decision, we are making a tough decision with probably the most amount of information at our fingertips. We will always have something that's readily available to help us and to guide us towards something. So if we are making a decision, it's a decision that's informed. If it's not well-informed, it's at least informed by multiple people or multiple sources. So when it comes time for your kid to make a decision about what they want to do, about who they want to be, you just need to trust them at that point because they really are working with the best tools available. And Joel, what advice would you give? You know, watch. Like Richie said, the the information is out there. They're going to be accessing it, whether as a parent you like it or not. Like Richie said, the resources are available to them. Are there bad resources? Of course there are, you know. And, and you know, but trust your children to, to understand that. But be watching. I mean, you know, observe, see. 
and have those conversations with them. The only way you're ever going to know whether or not they're relying on the right resources or the wrong resources is to have the question, have the conversation with them and have the questions, have those interactions with them. You've got to be willing to know about their lives to a degree. If you're just seeing your child and you have concerns that they're going through things or they're questioning their identity, and you're not willing to have the conversation with them, even if you never tell them that, they can sense it. And they won't have the conversation with you if they feel like they're making you uncomfortable. And that's the equivalent of putting your head in the sand. And then, yeah, it will be all of the resources on the internet. Those will be the sole thing that's guiding them and um, uh, informing them. And like Richie said, those resources are out there. But at the same time, as a parent, I think you're going to want to be part of the conversation too. You want your voice to be heard just as much as those other voices are being heard. And if they come to you and say, you know, I've read this or I heard this, does this seem right? You want to be the person they come to with that. Does this seem like the right thing? And you want to be able to to, to guide them, shepherd them a little bit. Otherwise, that is where they're getting all of their information from. And if it's not coming from you, then at some point, you're going to feel like that a big part of their growing up was left to someone else. And I don't think anyone wants to feel that way. Now, Richie, I know that you mentioned this, but are there specific resources? I know you mentioned the Trevor Project that you would encourage for other dads to to look into, to be able to go beyond, I'm going to say go beyond Google and that free resource and other free resources to be able to educate themselves, to be able to have, then have these conversations? Or is it mainly the Trevor Project that you would point someone to? Obviously, reiterating the Trevor Project is a wonderful place that anyone can go to to sort of learn. But also kind of talking with uh, older gay individuals, older trans individuals, there sadly aren't a lot of older gay and trans people that you can speak to in this world, but they do exist and they are there. And perhaps they might not always want to answer your questions, but they're not a terrible resource to look to. They're not someone that you should be afraid of asking questions for if you explain to them that you want to know in order to benefit your kids. But also, books are not a bad option. Specifically, uh, I mean, children's books are a strange resource for me to give, but definitely looking at and watching or reading the books or TV shows that your children are watching. If your kid likes a certain book series that have gay characters, sort of maybe reading that or reading about it in order to see maybe what connects with them and what doesn't. Because ultimately, when it comes to helping your kids specifically, you cannot look at just the Trevor Project. You have to... You have to look at resources that are going to, you have to look at what your kids are looking at because your kid is very special. They're very different. They express, they feel one way and no one else in the world can replicate how they feel. So by looking at what they point to as important and special to them for those reasons, then you're going to be able to understand what's going on. You're going to be able to help them continue their journey. There's actually a kids TV show that's, it's not like a uh, kids like teenagers. It's like a kids for young children who are like six, seven, eight years old called Bluey. It's just a cute cartoon about a family of dogs. And that TV show, I've noticed, 
has some of the most beautiful life lessons that it can possibly teach that they've shown to that they are able to show to children in a way that children can understand the best. It's surprising that some of the best resources that I can honestly give are children's TV shows, but ultimately that is I think a good way for parents to learn what their kids are getting and what their kids are seeing because kids who are trying to figure out their identity are not looking towards very serious doctorates and very serious uh, essays written by college students who have already finished their journey or scientists or psychologists who are studying these effects. It's children's TV shows, it's books, it's YouTube and Netflix that have characters that your kids can relate to. And by looking at those, by understanding what it's about, you can really understand how your kid would like to see themselves, how your kid would like to fit themselves into that world in order to feel more comfortable with who they are. Well, Joel, Richie, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing your journey. Richie, thank you for sharing your story. And I wish you both the best. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons, we make the meals, we buy them presents. Bring your A-game, cause those kids are growing fast. The time goes by just like a dynamite blast. Calling astronauts and firemen, carpenters and muscle men. Get out and be the world to Be the best dad you can be. Be the best dad you can be.